Hi, my name is Yumna Nofal, and you're listening to the Y Chats podcast, which is the podcast version of our online show Y Chats, created for the youth to help entertain, inspire, and alleviate their concerns when it comes to their future in a region filled with turmoil. Your hopes, your visions, your chats start right now. Welcome to Y Chats, episode three, everybody, part of our midsummer series. Waiting for Nasriata to join us today. I know you guys have been waiting for this episode. A lot of Nasriata fans out there. And um, so we're waiting for him to join us. And so I can tell you a little more about this. Um, just a quick, um, a quick recap on this series that I'm doing here. Hi, Costa. Hi, everybody tuning in. This is really, I know things are difficult, things are hard right now um, in Lebanon and the world. And so Why Chats was created for the use to kind of inspire and inform and entertain. And we are showcasing and highlighting figures in the country that are making it happen and in the region, um, despite all the odds stacked against us. And that's really where Why Chats uh, was born. I created this three years ago with a wonderful team, and we decided to do it online now uh, for, you know, for co- because of COVID-19 and to, to be responsible and stay responsible. So being here. Hi, Nasri. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How is the connection? I need to ask people how the connection is, because I'm always afraid that something happens afterwards. So can somebody please inform me how the connection is? Hey, everybody tuning in. We need how some are thumbs you? up. I'm good. How are you? Good. We've got Noor here saying hello. The connection oh, is good, wife. Mimi. Hello, wife. Okay. Um, <laughs> hey, everybody. Nasri, thanks for joining us. Um, listen, at any point, at any point, if the connection is bad, let us know. Hi, Soha. Ah, Nasri, first of all, welcome to Y Chat. And um, Thank you and uh, I just want to introduce you uh, to everybody who may not know who you are. Nasri Atala is a writer and producer and uh, one of the co-founders of Last Floor Production, uh, a production firm that was put in place to tell Arab stories, to create, to create stories for uh, TV, for uh, films, and most importantly, I think, to write and cast and produce um, stories that revolve around genres, right? So genres for the Arab world that tell Arab stories. But I think you can say it better than I do. So Nasri, go ahead and tell us a little bit about Last Floor Productions. Uh, I think you did a very good job. I think that summarizes it quite well. Uh, yeah, essentially, it's, um, it's a place to tell like you said, genre stories, so crime, thriller, dra- uh, um, psychological films, horror, etc. The kind of things we think are missing in the region. Uh, and it's focused on Arab stories wherever they are. So they can be in the Arab world or stories about Arabs that happen to be in North America, Latin America, in Asia, anywhere. Like we're quite agnostic about where we find our stories. Yeah, I was reading, a, I was reading an article as I, as I Googled and researched, you know, that's what we do. And um, <laughs> I love that you use the word, you are location agnostic. So it doesn't matter where we mm-hmm. film, 
as long as we're telling Arab stories. That was really what was important for you, right? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's kind of, I don't see why we should limit ourselves to, uh, oh, hello, some very nice things being said, by the way. I've never done an Instagram live, so I'm like reading all the comments. Take it all in, Nathalie, take it all in. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Go ahead. uh, Yeah, like we, I think we think that basically there's no reason to limit yourself. There are Arabs everywhere. I think like we didn't want to limit ourselves to Lebanon initially. Then we didn't want to limit ourselves to the Arab world. Then we figured, like, for example, like on a recent, I recently went on a trip to Iceland uh, before the world uh, came to a standstill. And uh, I heard the story of this uh, Syrian refugee family in the north of Iceland. I initially wanted to go meet them, but like the weather didn't allow us to drive up to the north. For a minute, right, right, right. Um, and, uh, yeah, like I was like, this is a story that needs to be kind of told or fictionalized or something. So I think there's stories everywhere. We're everywhere. So why not, you know, make the most you know, of it? It's, it's interesting because, um, and I want to get into this, um, you guys, I'm going to get into what he did during lockdown. It sounds horrible, but it's not right. What did Nasi do during lockdown? No, but it's, you know, before I do that, let me just, um, Give a shout out to your partners, Firas Abu Fakhir and Daniel Habib. Firas Abu Fakhir, also one of the members of Mashua Layla for everybody uh, watching. Um, a lovely gentleman that I've actually had the honor of also speaking with. And Daniel Habib, who I know from a, a movie review show. So you all three got together and you said, hey, you know, there aren't enough Arab stories being told. Nasi, why do you think that is? Uh, well, I mean, so there's two answers to that. One answer is within the region. Obviously, Arab stories are being told within the region, but they're kind of limited to one or two genres. So on the one extreme, you have um, like very auteur filmmaking. So basically films that do well at festivals, films that deal with kind of very, I would say, like miserable stories. Um, and then on the other end, you have very, very commercial Film, uh, films and television that kind of have a lowest common denominator feel to them. Um, so there's all this stuff in the middle that doesn't get done. So I think there's a lot of stories that we miss in the region. And then outside the region, uh, if you're telling an Arab story, it tends to be war, refugee. You know, you're limited to three or four categories that aren't that different from each other, actually. Um so yeah, so a lot of things fall through the cracks. And this is why you went stories. into the genre. And I, and I love it because uh, you and I got the chance to speak a little bit before this. And you said, you know, we wanted to do something like write a Casa de Papel. Casa de Papel, a very, uh, one of the most um, known Spanish series or series to come out of Spain uh, on Netflix. We wanted to do kind of a Casa de Papel for the Arab world, right? So psychological thrillers or horror, or um, I don't know, I guess murder mysteries, everything that's genre, I guess, because these are not, you know, we don't, it's it's almost like, you know, the West has this, the East has this, but what's in between, you know, Europe has this, but you know, there's a lot of talent here and and in the Arab world, and this should Mm -hmm. be showcased. And this is what is most interesting um, for everybody watching. Nasri Atala, with his partners, wrote, cast, and produced their first full show during the pandemic, and yep. then sold it to Shahid as a Shahid original. Did I say that right? 
how did you do that? Because that is a, honestly, without exaggerating, an outstanding achievement. Uh, thank you. Um, that, well, okay, so basically we started this production company towards the beginning of the year, uh, not knowing that a global pandemic was heading our way. So we had should, you managed... should read the news. You should read the news, Nestle. Okay. Yeah, people were you know, talking should, about uh, it. Listen to Chinese news. Yeah. I should have known what was coming. Um, but yeah, so we we had sold the show actually uh, at the you know at, at the very beginning of when we set up the the, the company. Obviously, that got pushed back. The second, not even pushed back, we just got told you know we don't know when it's going to happen. So we right. kind of I was sitting in London at home. Firas was at home. Danny was at home. And we're all obviously everybody's in a chatting. country. Everybody's in a country, right? Yeah, yeah. Everyone's, you know, like I was in a country alone. They were both here, but obviously not seeing each other. Mm-hmm. And um, so we kind of just went. Well, from well, if, at first we just kept talking every day as if everything was a, was fine. Like we kept having mm-hmm. meetings. Like we're a bit delusional. Like yes, you know, let's talk about this uh, plan and all of this as if nothing was happening. Then one day I just texted them and told them, "Look, guys, like we need to come up." It just we can't, like the survival mode kicked in and the panic yeah. of maybe there's nothing waiting for us at the end of this pandemic. So I just said we need to figure out a way to shoot people in their own houses. How can we do this safely? Uh, how, and then it just became actually quite open because then we started we shot some stuff in London, some stuff in Saudi, some First, stuff so, in Lebanon. So, so walk me through it. You wrote it. So I, I heard and I read that it was meetings upon meetings, Zoom meetings. Writing was happening on Zoom. Yeah. And yeah. So we came up with the kind of uh, germ of an idea. Then we contacted uh, Shahid, which is uh, the streaming arm of NBC Group. So the biggest. Oh, media Shahid. Group I said Shahid. Sorry, guys. It's Shahid. No, no, no Shahid. Um, and we uh, so we told them what we were thinking and they said, that's great because we're thinking along the same lines. So flesh it out a bit. We fleshed it out. And all of this, you know, even the Shahid team was at home. Like everyone's at home, you know. Um, we fleshed it out, started yeah. doing some back and forth. And like, okay, it's cool. Let's go. Let's run with it. Start. Okay. Uh, we're going to do this. So, so it, it was a leap of faith on their part. We were just like kind of nonstop working. We worked with a crew in Saudi Arabia that we've never met. Mm-hmm. And we still haven't met them. Like, I hope we'll meet them one day. Yeah. Um, we had our crew in Beirut who we were very happy to be able to, um, to work, I mean, because you know, we promised them work coming up, then the pandemic hit, and obviously Lebanon has its own set of problems. Uh, so we were very happy to be able to give people work as well, like yeah. during the pandemic. We'll get to that. We'll we'll get to that in a second because that's yeah. a very important, uh, very important point that we I want to make later on. So you hired you hired actors. How did the actors shoot themselves? Like, how did it happen during COVID? Because you you're not allowed to be a big crew, so. You, 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 you were working with very limited uh, members and very limited generally access. So how did it work? Right. So some people literally just put a GoPro, like kind of what I'm doing now, like they just put a thing on the screen and just chatted, uh, did their scenes while being directed over Zoom. So they were filming themselves while the director was on a Zoom call directing them. Wow. Um, some other people then, as we started production, the lockdown measures kind of, changed country to country. So when the lockdown measures would be a bit more soft, we'd say, okay, we can get four people into this house with masks and gloves and sanitizer and all, all of that. Um, 
to like be a mini, mini skit. Like instead of a crew of 40, there was a crew of four. Uh, and often people who actually are friends, so they would be friends who are already kind of in their own, in their bubbles. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just kind of like, every time there'd be a, a change in the health recommendations country by country, we would change how we were doing things. So you were adapting, uh, you were adapting based on the so, guidelines and basically doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So we would just say, you know, kind of adapting day to day, full crisis mode, Nothing was impossible. It was a kind of uh, it was a weird first project, to be honest, because it was very uh, intense. A lot of things were done kind of, you know, usually what we did in three months would be done in six to nine months. So it was also very compacted. We learned a lot. It was very, I mean, you know, I think, and we felt extremely lucky because I know a lot of people weren't, you know, like the pandemic affected a lot of people's work. And we were just like so happy that we were able to find a way to, to create some work during that time or this you time. know i think i up. think what you what you guys did is nothing short of amazing and i say this um I, I say this without exaggeration because i think you know and, and i really wanted to stress on this i think the pandemic uh, rightfully so brought a lot of people down just because um you know anxiety and depression mental health issues uh obviously impacting economies worldwide, impacting jobs worldwide, as you were saying. And, mm-hmm. um, and to be, and, and, I, and I wanted to tell the story because I think that even in the darkest of times without romanticizing it, things can still get done. And I think that's really what you're trying to say, you know, and this is, this is, this is writing and producing and Zoom meeting. So Zoom finally served its purpose and the Zoom creator and founder shall rest happily ever after. Um, By the way, just just a yeah. just a point on that. Like we were, we were also very anxious and depressed. But like the, I think the show was a way to deal with the emotions we were going through because the show is also about those emotions, about isolation and and like a longing for connection and that kind of thing. So, so I think we dealt with our own emotions around the pandemic, like through just channeled them through this show. And I think that's part of you know the show is called El Shek uh, in Arabic. Mm-hmm. It means doubt. Uh, for for our audience, um, and I think it's also it speaks to the to the importance of art, right? And the importance of um, being able to uh, vocalize and and really put what you're going through into your work, whether it's writing, whether it's um, acting, whether it's producing for you, right? I mean, that you just said it. You said you were feeling all those feelings as well, and you put it into your work. Yeah, I mean, I guess some people made banana bread. Some people, I don't know, walked their dogs five don't, times don't a day, whatever bakers. it was. Don't mock the bakers. <laughs> I'm not, no, no. I'm, I'm actually like, I just <laughs> yeah. didn't get into the banana bread and I just yeah. needed something to occupy my mind. And I wanted our company to survive and I wanted, you know, to employ a few people. And like, it was yeah. just, yeah, sure, survival. Congra- congratulations, you guys, on Thank selling you. your first uh, series to Shahid Original. It's a ten, it's a ten episode series called Al Shek on Shahid. It's the Shahid Original, and this is the best part, you guys. It is a Lebanese production, and I love that when we were talking, you and I, uh, Nasri, you said, and I quote, you said, I wanted to in pre and post production was done in Lebanon. Uh, the reason for that was that I always found that the work ethic forged in chaos gave the Lebanese a great mindset to get things done. I love that you said that. And with that, 
Tell us you were able to help a few families. It wasn't, it was actually pre-production, production and post-production. So right. part of it was even shot in Beirut as well. And the, the rest was shot in Jeddah. Um, and yeah, I mean, when we start, obviously I think we take for granted sometimes the experiences we've had as Lebanese, whether we're in the country or outside the country or have only lived there a few years or left or whatever it is. I think we take for granted sometimes the things that have happened to us or to our families, and we just think they're kind of normal. Um, whereas I think the chaos, I mean, I'm, I'm in Beirut at the moment uh, for work for a few weeks, and I, it's actually been like a really sad day. Like I've just been, you know, like no power, no, all the shops are closed. Like I, it's just every day I see it more and more. And plus, as we go back into lockdown, uh, but the result of that has been to some extent that people just work I mean, first of all, there's immense amounts of talent in the country. There's where we have a youth that's connected to the world and that is like thirsty to be part of a global community. And that's having that thirst kind of shunt, you know, like stopped at every turn by like incompetent leadership, et cetera. And yeah, like, I mean, any opportunity we have. So we managed to do like during the shoot, I would say like, because, okay, so the company is based in the UK. And Shahid is based in Dubai. So we were getting money from, you know, we were getting paid by the broadcaster in London. So that then gave us the ability to pay 25 people in Beirut with what's now called fresh money. And for anyone who isn't familiar with this absolutely stupid, insane concept, is that you're not allowed to touch your own money in your bank account unless it's just been transferred from abroad. Um, so we were then able to kind of, you know, and I felt so good. I mean, it's it's kind of weird, I guess, when you're, trying to turn a profit you shouldn't feel good when you're paying people but i felt so happy with every transfer that it just felt like it was more meaningful than it would have been six months ago and we definitely like you know as we go forward even if there's a shoot that isn't happening in lebanon i would really love to keep a very big part of pre-production and post-production in lebanon um because you know like we care about the place there's an enormous amount of talent so it's not charity it's it's just the talent is here People are really good. They work so hard. Uh, you know, it's, it was just a revelation, honestly, to see how hard people were working, how much they cared. And it drove me, you know? I love, I love that you said that. Everything you just said is just great because, and, and, I'm, and, and thank you so much for mentioning the youth. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Because, you know, I always say this, part of inventing this series uh, three years ago was to give back to this country not for charity reasons or anything, but because I, you know, and I think you and I um, agree on this. We have such a talented uh, pool of youngins, creatively, um, scientifically, in every single domain, really. And it, it is sad to see their talent go to waste. And I think people such as yourself and your partners as well really are putting, you know, in this case, Lebanon, obviously the Arab world, on a larger scale on the map. And I think this is why storytelling in itself is important. And I know storytelling is a big thing for you because mm -hmm. you've also written in publications that include The Guardian and GQ Middle East and, 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 and Little White Lies and GQ India, I'm quoting here. But part of what you always said you loved is storytelling. And, and, and I wanna focus on that and re-say for everybody who just tuned in, I love that when him and I met, he said, pre and post production of shows and films would always be in Lebanon or mostly in Lebanon because the work ethic forged in chaos has given the Lebanese a unique mindset. 
So I just wanted to repeat that. Um, can, I, can I say one more thing on that? Yes, actually? please, please go ahead. Is that I was approached by someone um, uh, at a university in London mm-hmm. who runs an MBA program at one of the big universities in London. Yeah. And he said, would you be willing to put together a course on entrepreneurship in times of crisis? And I was like, I don't, like, I don't, like, I'm not really an entrepreneur. Like, I don't know, for me, entrepreneur is tech. I don't know. And he said, no, no, because like, I, I followed what you guys did with this show. And I told him, like, honestly, it's a Lebanese mindset. Like, I don't think I've, I told him I can try and distill the Lebanese mindset into an academic course, which okay. would be an interesting exercise. But I definitely think if there's one thing that's positive about the mess we've been put through all of our lives, it's at least that we can, you know, find solutions to problems that everyone else, you know, like I was saying, I think I told you this when we met, like if, a, if, you know, if a camera breaks and you're in the UK, someone's going to go, yeah, sorry, not my job to find you a camera. Whereas here, if a camera breaks, there'll be mm-hmm. five people who within five minutes will find you five cameras to replace it. You know? And we're, yeah. Comes from the fact that we have to solve everything for ourselves, you know. And I think that's you know it's part of it's almost part of our DNA now. This resilience, right? This you know, as soon as things hit the fan, we're we're up and running because we've been doing it all of our lives. And it speaks volumes of the Lebanese the Lebanese identity and the Lebanese mindset. So thank you for saying that. You know, um, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, a course on entrepreneurship and. Um, entrepreneurship being big these days, but also, um, you know, I want, I want to take it back to how you got into this industry, because here's another thing, getting into the entertainment industry and getting into even behind the scenes is a, it's, it's a daunting task. Not everybody can make it right. Uh, obviously there's a lot of talent and in the Arab world, generally, um, recently, the Lebanese have started breaking through, right? Back to back. We spoke about Ziad Dwaidi and, Natal- and, and Nadine Labake, who got uh, their Oscar nominations, and they got, you know, they were nominated at Cannes. She won as well. Um, how do we break through it, right? So you, you know, if you have a, if you have a, an eighteen-year-old kid who's, you know, telling you, "My God, I want to write, I want to produce," you know, and it's never a linear path, and we're going to get to that in a second. Yeah. What is your advice to them? People want to get into the industry. Mm-hmm. I think, in a weird way, in the Arab world, uh, it's almost easier to break into the industry because there's the industry is quite informal. So it's very hard to break in the U.S. or the U.K. or Germany, where okay. the roles are very defined. You have to go to specific schools, etc. Right. I think, in some sense, and actually, you brought up Nadine Labake. Um, there are way more Arab female film directors than there are American women in the industry because because there is no industry here to kind of dismantle you can just if you can put the financing together you can make the film whereas in the u.s you have to fight all these patriarchal structures etc like here it's just like equally difficult for everyone so obviously women you know usually do it better than men so that's i, I like that you're mentioning women you should have got a woman partner on your team there Nestle. <laughs> no, no but yeah i no, no, it's a good, it's a good point. Like I, I'm very conscious that we're three men who founded this company, mm-hmm. uh, and actually the, the bulk of our team, like 90% of our team, is women. Okay. Uh, 
sadly, there's nothing we could do about the part. You know, we're just mm-hmm. three friends who decided to start a company. It would have been it would have been artificial to shove someone else in there. Yeah, no, I understand. I understand. But, I understand. I understand. But we are definitely like hyper hyper aware. Like we've worked with male directors for the first series, and we're very keen. Actually, we're, it's very front of mind that upcoming series we have to have female directors. So it's. Uh, this is something we're extremely aware of. So. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, and I'm sure it will happen. I'm sure that it's, it's important for you to, um, to highlight. You know, thank you for mentioning that, and to highlight women and, and also their creative genius and their creativity and their talent as well, um, because they have stories to tell. And in the Arab world, they are not only underrepresented, they are misrepresented, which is another problem. So, looking forward to that. Uh, story, but one of your main actresses is in uh, Al Sheikh was actually a woman in Saudi Arabia, so that yeah. was a that was a huge thing. That was a huge deal. Yeah, and again, like some of the themes of that show, so like the 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 doubt of the title is mm-hmm. the fact that no one believes her when she says she's witnessed this terrible thing, mm-hmm. because everyone's being dismissive towards her because she's a woman. And actually, right. the actress, uh, the actress Fatima Al Banawi. Yeah. We were very keen, so we'd already kind of created the show, and we wanted her to write with us as we were. We'd kind of almost finished the script, but we wanted to rewrite them with her because, first of all, her perspective. Like, we didn't want to write a woman. We wanted a woman to also be involved in the writing of this character. Um, and obviously for the whole Saudi aspect, the Saudification of the dialogue, etc. Um, and to make sure we weren't completely wrong with the themes because... No, and imagine I love... And that in itself is, is is a great achievement because getting a woman in Saudi, because, you know, also Saudi, unfortunately, in the media portrayed as, you know, um, for so many different reasons where women don't get a chance to uh, participate in society, let alone act. Right. So being able to do that is something else. Um, I, I think I think that's changing very quickly, actually, in Saudi. Mm. I think it's changing at a pace where people who aren't paying attention might be surprised, actually. They're going to wake up one day and see that, you know, they've there's leaps and bounds, basically. You know, like I grew up there. I grew up there. And it's interesting because I, I go yeah. back for work every now and then. And they have a huge youth population, not to deviate from the subject. But um, and, and these and these youngins, they are they're smart. They can compete on world stages. They're great. They're great. The, the you know, what, what Saudi is doing with Vision 2030 and what we're going to see with the youth and tech and everything is going to be uh, definitely something to be reckoned with. So we're looking forward to that. You know, Nasri, also when you and I were talking, um, I remember telling you that, um, you know, when we graduate, when we're younger and we graduate and we're looking, you know, back in the day, they used to have a linear career path, right? Um, I wanted to be you know, I wanted to be a doctor, so I studied biology. I wanted to be, uh, you know, an architect. I may have studied, you know, graphic design or whatnot. Um, and you and I were saying that, you know, you didn't have a linear path to get to where you, you got to. You went through the UN, no. oil and gas, banking. So tell me a little bit about that. And then what got you to last um, productions? Yeah. I mean, like personally, like I was very confused. I mean, I guess everyone's confused. Actually, I don't know. I was gonna say everyone's confused, but I feel like young people today are much more in tune with what they actually care about. Um, I wasn't very in tune with what I cared about when I was 18. Mm -hmm. So I studied politics initially with the intention of becoming a UN kind of diplomat. That was my dream. Did about six months at the UN. It was like, "Eh, I don't think this is for me. Left the UN. 
from there, worked as an oil and gas analyst for two years. Then I worked in a, as a private banker for two years. Then I worked in advertising. So I've done like all the evil, I've done every evil industry, basically. Um, and then I, for seven years, I was like head of media for basically a startup, a startup group. So that was the closest I got in the corporate world to actually doing what I wanted to do. Um, but like looking back now, sometimes I realized that actually, like my thesis when I went to SOAS in London, when I was doing my master's, was about the power of transnational uh, like satellite media in the Arab world to build identity outside the Arab world. So I was 21 when I wrote that. And I guess, I mean, I wrote it as a like from an international politics perspective, but, um, but I should have known, I guess, 15, 16 years ago that this is what I should have been doing the whole time. Um, but no regrets about the, 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 the nonlinear path. I think it serves, it serves me well uh, today. Uh, because I know how to read the contract. I know how to sit across from someone who's trying to negotiate with me, et cetera. Like, I think it's, they're useful skills, especially when you're in a part of the creative industry that also requires business skills. Um, so, yeah, you know, I don't believe it, in linear. I actually, I, yeah. 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 You would, you would, you would advise the youth, get lost, figure out what you want to do. Right. Don't, don't, don't fret it so much. Go I mean, through the different channels. Go, you know, get to know who you are, right? Maybe, maybe I wouldn't, I'd probably recommend people like less jumping around than I did. But as well, mm -hmm. like the, the, the kind of the economy that people are graduating into at the moment is yeah. the least stable it's ever been. So there is no, there isn't that thing our parents had of spending 40 years with a company and retiring and like millennials barely have that. Like most don't. They also spend like five years, five years, five years, whatever they jump around. And I'm really scared for like this Gen Z that's going to be launched into the gig economy and at the time coronavirus. And like, I'm really worried for like how they're going to live. And I understand their frustrations and their fears. Are you, are you worried about them? Or you think that they're going to be, because they're growing up with this, they're maybe going to be able to adapt better than we did. Look, I definitely think again, like I, anyone who says the kids, you know, like people, grumpy people, usually my, like I'm 37. So people like a bit, over my age tend to say like, oh, kids don't know what they're doing today. They're all on TikTok being idiots or whatever. But honestly, like the, anyone who's 20 today makes me believe in the future because they're so talented, so tuned in to the world. They care about things that are so much more important than what I cared about when I was they're 20. They're empathetic. They're empathetic too. Yeah, yeah, they have empathy. They care for the planet. They care for animals. They care about like, you know, other people's feelings and identities. And, you know, there's, there's, it's just like, there's so much more um, conscientious than, than, I mean, I was, I'm not going to say my whole generation, but at least me. Um, so they actually give me a ton of hope, but I am worried for them because there's no, there's not a lot of stability in their future and lack of stability creates anxiety. So, you know, and there's but a then, kind of anxiety but then, epidemic. But to everybody watching, but then you can take your anxiety and turn it into a TV series. And yeah, and, yeah. and call up last fall of productions and try to get that try to get that pitch through. Um, you mentioned the importance, and I think you just did a little bit of that. You mentioned the importance of, and everybody listening, I want you to, I would like you to uh, listen to what Nasi has to say. The importance of mentorship and the importance of mm -hmm. mentoring, um, because when you were growing up, you said. Um, you know, 
I kind of had to figure things out on my own, right? I had to go through this and this and that to get to where I am today. And I, if I can help someone, then please reach out to me and, and let me know because I, I would. Why, why is mentorship important to you? I think, I mean, I obviously had a lot of people helping me, you know, my parents, mm-hmm. my parents' mm-hmm. friends, people who are a bit older than me, et cetera. Like, yeah. but, but they, they have your best, you know, you know, they're too close to you to give you objective advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just think, you know, you're the best thing in the world and they're not going to really challenge you or, or help you grow, especially professionally. I think like personal is a different thing. And I think, let's say to get into an industry, like, as, like you were saying, like, it's very opaque. Like, how do you get into media? How do you get into entertainment? How do you become a writer? How all of these things, it's very hard to even know where to ask. And if you, you know, if you just Google it they'll get like very generic answers. I guess, you know, you have to do this to become a screenwriter or whatever. And I think having someone in your life, I mean, I'm lacking this at the moment. Like I would love a mentor who's, I don't know, 50, you know, uh, someone who can tell me like what they've done in the 20 years that are between me and them that, that I could learn from. So do you I'm, have you know, somebody like that? Were you able to, to, to find somebody? I, I have, I have had in the past, like I've been very lucky. Like I've had a couple of mentors in the past who've, who've kind of guided me through, you know, the, how to navigate a career, et cetera. Um, and I think like, like I was telling you, like, you know, if someone today is 20 and in Lebanon specifically, I'm going to say Lebanon specifically, and like mm-hmm. very confused about how do I get into, how do I become a director? How do I become a producer? How do I become a write, script writer or whatever it is? Like I, you know, I have had people reach out over the years, like on Twitter and Facebook, et cetera, and just say, it was more about writing, you know, like, how do I get myself published? How do I do this? And I try, yeah. maybe not, I'm not always, you know, available, you know, so sometimes I'm, I give a quick answer or something, but I do try to answer, especially if it's a valid question. We're not, when it's a one liner, like I want a job, like, you know, like I, you know, something more like, this is what I've done. You know, what do I do next? Can you help me with an introduction? That kind of thing. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very keen to help. Someone misses our man in Beirut. That's very nice. Yeah. Thank you. Naila, so yeah, that was, Naila, cool. You're saying we miss our man in Beirut. A man in Beirut, actually, uh, a series of stories and essays that you published. Yeah, our man in Beirut was like started as. So this is actually this is me in a phase where I didn't know how the hell to move from this corporate soulless job that I'd left. I'd left London, so I left that job, left London, came back to Lebanon, was living with my parents again, very confused about what to do next, and I just started kind of writing little bits on a blog. This is in 2007 or eight or something like that. And um, when there weren't a ton of kind of active bloggers around, I guess, in Lebanon. Yeah. Uh, and I just started blogging in English. Uh, com- not complaining, but like, yeah, actually complaining quite often, but also trying to understand my place as someone who was born outside of the country, who's moving to the country and navigating that. And that blog became quite popular which led to a book deal. So that blog got like republished as a book. Um, and I think it spoke to a lot of people who also maybe had been coming back from abroad. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's, uh, you know, that that actually was my way into advertising. So like that book got me noticed, I got a copywriting yeah. job. Once I had the copywriting job, I could work my way into media. And once I got into media, I was like, okay, now I start my production company. So um, this is, and this is what this is what I want people to take away is that for anybody watching, anybody who's wondering, and I know a lot of you are, and rightfully so, during what's going on now in the world, uh, wondering, you know, what's my next move, right? 
what do I go from here? It's very natural, normal to feel helpless and hopeless at, at certain times, especially in the times we're living in today. Um, and I love that you said that, you know, I, I was just, I had moved from London. I was complaining about Lebanon. That blogging, me putting that out there, putting my, you know, whatever I was feeling out there into words, got me into copy editing, got me into advertising, which got me into media, which got me into opening eventually and founding and creating my own production firm. It's not linear. No. Please. Actually, can I say something about yes, hope? Yes, please. Go ahead. Go ahead, please. Because one of the things I find, because I'm often like not here, not in Lebanon, physically, I find that I have like a good reservoir of hope because I'm, you know, I've been here uh, 10 days-ish and I'm already exhausted. Like I'm already so... Uh, worn down by by the country and by you know the lack of electricity the 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 the, the sadness like there's so much sadness and so like I see one of my jobs as being the one guy you know one of the people who's outside of here like especially I'm talking like at work is to like keep bringing everyone up you know to keep telling them like what's possible like there's a whole world out there like don't worry you know even if there's no power we can still do this and we can you know the world's gonna see it and and I think that's one of the things like I try to channel back towards here is, is, uh, is yeah, like just it's so hard to hold on to hope. So at least have people like, you know, like we're working on our next project now and there's about 40 people here who are looking at working on a project that's for outside of the country. They're looking outwards. They're, they, they have this kind of bubbliness about them again. And like, I used to be that way when I lived there because I, I worked for a company that was outward looking and I know that that counts for a lot. Uh, especially when you're somewhere that's that's going through like such a tough time, and I think like hope is in such short supply that anywhere you can provide it, uh, yeah, it's. I want to end with, you know, since you mentioned that that message of hope, um, what is Lebanon for you? <sighs> See, you told me to think about this question. Um, Thanks for revealing the secrets. The secret, the behind the scenes. <laughs> I mean, um, everybody's a witness to this now. I think uh, the thing is, I think it's not a constant, so there is no answer for me for Lebanon. Um, like today, you asked me today. Like today, Lebanon is sadness. Like I really feel like this overwhelming sadness today. I know that tomorrow will be different, and so and my relationship to Lebanon is ever evolving. It's not dogmatic or anything. It's often hate, often love, often, you know, and all these things in between. Um, and I kind of like it that way because it keeps me on my toes. It's like a proper relationship, right? So, um, uh, I have to keep working on it. So yeah, I don't have an answer for that. You just, you just gave an answer for that. Yeah. <laughs> you just gave an answer for that. Um, our guest before you, Dan Ezzi, compared it to the abusive husband, <laughs> the relationship with the abusive <laughs> husband that you can't quite leave. You just keep going back to. Um, yeah. And it's interesting that you said that it keeps you on your toes because I think people need to hear that. Nasiatala, um, everybody, for everybody who tuned in, writer and producer, uh, our man in Beirut, now our man in London, uh, writing, casting and producing during lockdown. What an achievement for you and your partners. And uh, looking forward to what you're going to do next. Please make sure you come back and talk to us. And hopefully, uh, not over Zoom or whatnot, but until then, we'll have to deal with this. Thank you, Nesty. Yeah.
Thank you so much, Imna. Thank you so much for this. Thank you for joining me. This is going to be available um, on IGTV. And I have news about a possible podcast, but I'm not going to spill all the secrets because Nasri talks a lot. <laughs> Yalla. Take care of yourself. Be Exciting. safe. Stay healthy. Bye, Imna. Bye, everyone. Good Thank night. you. Bye.